1: hello everybody welcome to the buckeye weekly podcast we are back i am tony gerderman here once again finally as always with tom Orr. your long national nightmare is over we are back Uh, for now i don't know what's gonna happen over the fourth you know we'll figure it out we didn't quite figure it out very well this past time uh, but that's not that's not our fault tom how are you doing I'm
2: great. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, what what are we talking about tonight? Is this some kind of like uh, woodworking podcast? I forget. What are we What are we talking about tonight?
1: Really, we just talk about like what we did during the day. Today, I watched. You know, I always have like the Discovery Channel and the Travel Channel on. So today it was America on Earth, uh, with the uh, noted uh, geologist uh, Scott Walter. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched that. Pretty interesting. Got a lot of conspiracies and stuff like that. I I, I listen. I watch. Watch those shows. I think the the Ark of the Covenant may have been in America. What do you think about that, Tom? Your take?
2: I I was curious what kind of uh, geology conspiracies you could possibly be coming up with. Oh,
1: Oh, quite a few.
2: You're saying those rocks are full of schist?
1: Tom, let's just start over.
2: That is the best geology joke you are ever going to hear.
1: Three, two, one. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. Uh, So, yeah, we are back. Uh, and all of our, all of our glory. So we're, we're thankful that, uh, you guys have stayed subscribed and that you're back listening to us. And, uh, we apologize for being away. We not really apologize, but, um, I'm not sorry. I enjoyed my break. Tom, did you enjoy your break? Uh, yeah, it was
2: fine. I I missed, uh, I did miss talking about Ohio state football. That was, uh, well. That's it was, it was tough, but. There's... And and this is this was supposed to be a quiet time of year and then uh all of a sudden like everything all all heck broke loose during the uh during the couple weeks we were off.
1: Yeah, and the last show we did do Julian Fleming committed like the day or two before but we totally I totally uh ended the show before we got to talk to him talk about that because Tom it was below my screen on my laptop. I I didn't scroll far enough down so That's partly my fault, but when I was ending the show, you could have said, oh, hey, but you didn't. So uh, who's really to blame? Who knows? Let's not get into an argument here in front of everybody. We can do that off the air. So while we were gone, the Buckeyes did land four commits that uh, we really haven't talked about yet. The first was, I don't know if it was, I think it was the first, and I'm going to say his name, Grant Toutant. Tom, is that how you would say it?
2: That is how I would say it.
1: Or would you go toutant?
2: I would say Tutant, but I think it's, uh, I, I think either one is acceptable.
1: So he flipped from Penn State, and I remember, I think uh, you texted me when it happened, and you're like, hey, you see this? And I think we were both like, who is this guy? Uh, <laughs> you know, once he, you know, back then, way back then, two weeks ago, when a guy would commit to Penn State, you would just assume he was going to go there. Now, now we know though, that when they commit to Penn state, that just means they're getting ready to commit somewhere else. It's like, like Frogger. When you jump on like one spot, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to stay there. You're going from that's, you know, from one spot to the next Penn state committing to Penn state, I think is like Frogger. Now we know that we didn't know that before you don't, you don't commit there and stay there. You commit there and and, and then go somewhere else. So, he is another four-star offensive lineman. Uh, the, what, number, well, three-star in the composite. The number 32 offensive tackle out of Warren, Michigan. And, you know, it's good to always, I guess, get some of the guys out of Michigan. But he, even being that three-star guy, Tom, he's still rated higher than Jacob James, Trey LaRue. But another big body that is what the fifth offensive lineman will consider Paris Johnson still in and things are looking better and better for that on that front. So the, the fifth guy, the fifth offensive lineman in the class, probably not the last, but always good to steal from Penn state, right?
2: Well, right. This is a little bit of uh you're taking a guy who's in the state of Michigan. So you're taking him away from a big 10 <laughs> rival there. He was committed to Penn State. You're taking him away from a Big Ten team there. So, yeah, I think that's, that is a, uh, you're getting stronger and uh, teams you're playing are getting a little weaker. So, that's, that is a win win from the Ohio State perspective. He is, I mean, you mentioned he's a three star, which, you know, I know people at this point, after years of Urban Meyer recruiting, everyone looks at three stars like, well, what, what, what's wrong? Couldn't you get an actual player? Like, what's, what, why are they taking a three star? We have talked in the past about how, Ohio State will sort of look at what certain other programs are doing, sure. programs that are good at identifying and developing talent. Grant Tutant had an offer from Michigan State. Michigan State is one of those programs, especially in the offensive line. He also had an offer from Wisconsin. That's another program where, you know, if, you've, if you have followed Wisconsin football at all in the last 25 years, you know Wisconsin does a pretty good job identifying and developing offensive line talent. So if those two teams are in on him, that's a pretty good indication you're getting a good prospect. He's got good size. He's 6 foot 7, 310 already. That's that is a prototypical tackle. He has I mean if you watch his film, it he looks like he could absolutely stay outside at the college level. It's going to he's going to be a little bit of a developmental project. It'll take, you know, it, it, you never expect to see an offensive lineman play right. as a true freshman. So, it, it's going to be a year maybe two before you see anything out of him, but you know the frame is there. The he moves his feet pretty well. Watching him, uh, watching his highlights, so you know that's that's absolutely a guy who seems like he'll be a good a good fit with the program. And then you know check back in two years and see how he's how he's developing.
1: And he had been committed for a long time at Penn State, and you know made a business decision. The second commit, I believe, we was second was Ty Hamilton. The another Tom. Another three-star guy, a defensive end <laughs> out of Pickerington, the brother of Ohio State defensive nose tackle. Not I was gonna say defensive tackle, but he's nose tackle. I'm not saying defensive nose tackle, as if there's an offensive nose tackle. Obviously, Ty Hamilton, the brother of Davon Hamilton, a six-two, two-fifty D end, and um, this to me feels like. They're in on a lot of good defensive tackles and whether Darian Henry is a, is a defensive tackle or not to me, like uh, Ty Hamilton is, and I'll just tell you, he's ranked the the number 39 strong side defensive end uh, number 771 in the nation number 26 in the state for the 24, seven sports composite to me, this feels like an offer because they're not in on a lot of edge guys. And when I say like an edge guy, I'm talking more of a, a chase young pass rusher, uh, than rather than, you know, like a Darian Henry, like I said. So this to me feels like they they're not in on a lot of those guys. They've got a guy in Ty Hamilton, in their backyard or in their side side yard, I guess it would be, but he's got offers from Penn State, and I think um, was he at have an offer from. Michigan, as I click on his profile here, but had good offers. Yeah, offer for Michigan, offer for Michigan State, Purdue. So to me, this was a he's right here. We're not in on a lot of other guys. Let's just go ahead and see what he does at camp. They like him, they'll offer him, which they did. He, you know, commits shortly thereafter. I, I Tom, I wonder. Do you think, and we know Ryan Day has said he's going to up the, the focus on Ohio, I, I feel like this is an offer that Urban Meyer doesn't make until like a week or two before the December signing day.
2: Maybe, but you have to also remember that because he's Devon Hamilton's younger brother, he has probably spent a lot more time around Larry Johnson the last few years than yep. most other defensive line prospects and at this point if larry johnson says i want that guy i think larry johnson probably has the cachet within the program that people are going to go yeah okay he's been right about the last uh 47 guys he said he'd wanted so it, that's that's always kind of turned out well when larry johnson wants a guy so if larry johnson says he wants a guy i, I would guess that, that that is a pretty good a pretty good leading indicator that the guy is probably going to be pretty uh, a pretty good prospect he's in hamilton's an interesting player he's he reminds me uh, just build wise and how he plays he's maybe a little bit like Jashan Cornell where he yeah. could be a defensive end he could be like a 3 tech defensive tackle and they could slot him in one of those two places and you know that may be a see how his body develops and see you know if they want to you know you can you can certainly bulk him up if you want to or keep him a little more lean and try and play him outside in high school with Pickerington Central he plays standing up, he plays with his hand in the dirt, rushing off the edge. they put him inside he's He's kind of all over the place, so he's a little bit of a you know multiple choice um defensive lineman where you could do a couple different things with him and you know see get- get him on campus, see how he develops, see what spot he fits best or what spot you really end up having a need, and then slot him in there but it, for someone that has had as much time with Larry Johnson as he has. And as much you know, as much FaceTime, as much time just around the program, knowing what's going on, I I think that that's that's probably a reasonably safe bet for them that you're going to get. You don't know exactly what you're going to get, but you're going to get something pretty good. He's he's actually ranked higher than Devon Hamilton was when he was a when he was recruit. So, you know, and Devon Devon has turned out pretty pretty darn well. So I think I think that's a that's a chance they're going to be willing to take.
1: Yeah, they got three. They'll have three years out of Devon Hamilton in the rotation. And if I think that's about all you can reasonably expect or hope for from a defensive lineman, because if, if he's in the rotation as a true freshman, you're probably losing him as a junior. And, you know, if, if he gets test a red shirt, then, you know, you still might only get three years out of him. And, and if he's a little bit of a late bloomer, like Devon Hamilton, where he's not really in a lineup until he's a red shirt sophomore, that's fine as well because those guys tend to stick around until their fifth year anyway. So if he follows that trend, that's going to be, that'll be just fine. And like you said, he's familiar with the program. So he's one of those guys that can hit the ground running. Plus he's a local kid. So there's not going to be the homesickness. And I guess the intangibles make this an easier offer as well. And like you said, he's familiar with everything. They don't have to indoctrinate him into, you know, Coach Mick. I'm sure they all know each other very well. And and then you you just you you go from from the winter when uh, he arrives if he's going to arrive early, or or whatever. So yeah, it's um, and and it goes back to what you were saying about the other schools that can develop and see talent. Michigan State liked him. They do pretty well with those defensive ends, as we've seen. The, uh, the two biggest, I guess, commitments uh, begin with Jaden Ballard, the 2021 wide receiver from Maslin, who, uh, if you watch his film, the only way to tell the difference between him and Devin Smith from back in the day is Devin Smith didn't have long hair flowing out of his or floofing out of his helmet. Other than that, they are almost identical. They were both were nine. They both uh, are routinely catching deep passes with you know, like secretariat like distances between themselves and defensive backs. It also reminded me of Chris Olave, his film from last year, where you know there's just there's nobody in the picture. And that when when you see stuff like that, you really tend to doubt the competition. But you know. I, I I there's also um, these guys are also talented. That's why that's why they're making other players look bad. But he's the number twenty one receiver in the twenty twenty one class, number five player in Ohio, number one hundred and twenty player overall. And Tom, the the twenty twenty one Ohio class is is pretty darn good. And you know, Jack Sawyer, the defensive end, five star defensive end was the first commitment. They added Kyle McCord. The quarterback out of Pennsylvania, out of Philadelphia, and then Jaden Ballard is the third 2021 20, commit. But there's, you know, I think everybody's waiting for Lorenzo Styles Jr., the other receiver, to pull the trigger and become a part of the class. But Ballard is one of the top receivers in the nation, and looks like looks like an ideal fit. I'm assuming at Z for the Buckeyes down the road, add some weight, and uh, he'll, uh, you know. I'm not saying Devin Smith because that's that kind of deep threat is I don't I don't think we'll ever see it again, but they look remarkably similar.
2: You're not saying Devin Smith, but literally two minutes ago, you said Devin Smith. So I'm not
1: saying it. I'm just saying
2: (laughs) he is someone who, you know, scouting. This is there's an old baseball cliche about not scouting the stat line and not looking at guy's minor league stats and just projecting them to the major leagues because there's all sorts of adjustments you have to make between levels and that sort of thing. It, there's a little bit of that in in high school ball where you have to, you can't just look at the numbers and automatically assume, okay, well, he's going to do that at college too. But, but. To, to put up the numbers he has, uh, last year it was 36 catches. For 851 yards, and I'm not going to do the math exactly, but that's north of 20 yards per reception, 12 touchdowns on 36 receptions, those are all pretty good. What's more telling to me is that's a sophomore doing that at a program as big as Maslin. Maslin is one of the biggest, most famed, most storied programs in the state of Ohio, if you are not just playing as a sophomore, but leading the team in receptions as a sophomore on a team that goes to the state championship game, that tells you something. That tells you that yes, even on a team that's got a whole lot of talent, Massillon always gives, you know, puts puts a handful of kids into Division One basically every year. To be a sophomore on a program like that and be that kind of an impact player on a state championship game, uh, team, that is pretty telling. And, you know, he's, he's someone who he runs, the times he runs when they do like a pro day kind of thing, the times are kind of match the, match the on-field performance. It, it all kind of makes sense. Like, yes, he's, he's fast out of pads. He's fast in pads. He's an impact player on the field. That is someone that, you know, there's, the 2020 recruiting class at wide receiver for Ohio State is just completely bananas. And we'll get to there's the bananas. a lot. Yeah, there's there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about there. We still haven't even seen the 29 recruiting class, 2019 recu- recruiting class, and Garrett Wilson on the field for a meaningful snap yet. So you've got that to look forward to. But a couple years from now, that he is Jaden Ballard is someone that you are you are going to want to kind of. He, he's someone that if he enrolls early, he will be someone you're gonna you're gonna be looking for at the spring game for sure.
1: You know, I, I believe he has a he had a teammate Trayvon Morgan. I believe that was his name, first team All State wide receiver as well. I'll, I'll be interested to see how he his performance adjusts to not having him there. And he, Tom, you remember when um, Alvin Harper left the Cowboys and signed with the Buccaneers, and he was a really great deep threat number two, but did not transition into a number one with the Bucks. You know this is this is timely football. Only you know twenty years ago or whatever, but it's always interesting to see how these guys just adjust to not having somebody on the other side. And so, if his numbers dip or if they don't, just uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. The um, the, uh, the 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 biggest commit, I guess, the highest ranked commit of the the last week was four star cornerback Clark Phillips out of La Habra, La Abra, La Habra California. The, he's the third highest ranked member of the class right now for the Buckeyes, the number four corner overall, number 46 player. 5'10 and a half listed, 178 pounds, not the biggest guy. But like, like, like we said with Tate Martell, when you've got these smaller guys who are rated highly, don't overlook... You know, like don't dismiss them it's those are the guys that I'm assuming, and from what you watch you watch the highlights, like he shows up, he's a physical guy, he doesn't play like some small dude, and obviously he's quick and he's fast and as multiple as offenses are anymore. there will always be a place for those six one long corners, but there's also gonna be a place for the guys who can cover the slots and can. Go from outside to inside. You know, like we keep waiting for Marcus Williamson at Ohio State. You know he's. You know this is a similar similar mold where you've got a guy that is not the biggest guy, but he's aggressive, he's physical, and I don't even know that he plays bigger than his size. He plays his size and, and just defends well. And that's uh him and Legend Cavazos. If Cavazos does end up being a corner. That's two pretty good guys right there. I think, obviously, they still need to add some more defensive backs, especially if, you know, with the bullet position. I know Court Williams, we'll talk about the linebackers in a little bit, has talked about the bullet position. I don't see that going to a linebacker recruit very often. You know, that's that's To me, that's a safety that will have to play bigger. And that's always safer to me than a linebacker, playing smaller. There are very few C grants out there, Uh, but Clark Phillips, Tom, a good, a good start or a good finish. Maybe they're taking two corners and then they've got some safeties. Obviously they're looking at, but when you looked at this, this 2020 cornerbacks class, we talked a long time, many months about how deep it was and how many names the Buckeyes were in on. Phillips didn't really come into the picture until a few months ago maybe a couple of months ago, but once he got into the picture, it was pretty clear pretty quick that he and the Buckeyes clicked. Well, it, you can't
2: ever assume they're going to just waltz over to California and, <laughs> and grab a kid who's got offers from basically everywhere in the country, and Phillips does. That's not an easy sell necessarily to pull a, a kid from California. I mean, they have done, they've done a very nice job doing that recently. You've gotten Wyatt Davis. You got in Chris Alave. They just got uh, JP Andrade, the walk on quarterback from California. They have had some success over there, but that's like one player a year. That's not, you know, you're not bringing in five to six players there every year. So that's, that's not a place you're just going to assume they're going to pull a ton of talent out of. But you're right. I mean, it was that, that recruitment went zero to 60 pretty quickly because he was not someone who last fall, I think, was on a lot of people's radars for Ohio State. Corner is a probably the single biggest position of need for them in 2020. Because remember, last year, they didn't get a corner in that 2019 class. They had Jordan Battle committed, and then he flipped to Alabama on signing day. So that is kind of the biggest hole, I think, on the, on the team right now, that if you have a, you know, an empty class in 2019, you're potentially losing Jeff Okuda to the NFL after this year. You know you're losing Damon Arnett to the NFL after this year. You know, Sean Wade could go. That Sean Wade is eligible to go to the draft if he has a good year. That's a possibility. So then you've got to replace those guys, and they have, you know, they have names on the roster. They've got guys who they have, uh, you know, brought in Cam uh, Cam Brown and uh, Seven Banks and and all those guys and uh, Tyreek Johnson. Those those guys are all out there and are are all, you know possible next man up kind of guys, but you've got to have the guys behind them. And without without having a guy in the twenty nineteen class, that makes that twenty twenty class a big, big deal to kind of restock that cupboard. Cause if you have that was it 2017 that they got Okuda and Wade and it was the number one and number two corners in the country. Yep. Like that's not going to happen very often. But if that happens, that sets you up for some big success if you if you have a couple good corners in a class and you know you can Have you know you give them a year to sort of learn, and then you've got them for a couple years, and potentially that third year they take that kind of Denzel Ward step or the Marshawn Lattimore step, or you know whichever whichever corner you want to use as your example. That's that, and you just you just need one or two of those guys on your team, and that that makes your defense a lot more effective. So that is a that is a major major position of need for them this year, and between Phillips and Cavazos, it sure seems like they are uh off to a off to a remarkably good start there right now, which was not did not look like it was necessarily the case a couple months ago.
1: You remember how Kendall Sheffield was thought by many to be a one and done guy when he came in? I think Ohio State we're talking about it's a position of need. I think they will have that one and done guy next year in Sean Wade. You mentioned he was the number two corner. He has yet to really play corner at Ohio State fully. And so when we're looking at who they're going to sign this year, if it's not as many as you would like, don't forget that could be Sean Wade next year. And if it is, I think you'll be okay. And if he ends up leaving early after his fourth season, that's, that's a sacrifice you should be willing to make. So that at least it gives them room while they do need some more corners because some of those will be safeties and some of those will be, bullets, um they do have that guy waiting in the wings and you know that's something that not many teams have where you can just be like it's like a September call up except uh, you know it's football and he's he's probably really good. So the um, the next commitment Tom will maybe be Darian Henry who is announcing on Saturday, who, uh, the Princeton, Cincinnati, Princeton, uh, defensive lineman, I think Rivals has him as the strong side defensive end, top 50 player, I believe, in their rankings, 24-7 has him as a defensive tackle, the number 11 defensive tackle in the nation, the number 121 ranked player, number two player in the state, 6'4 and a half, 279, everybody expects him to be a Buckeye, he's, you know, he went through his spring visits in the South, the SEC, and he, Paris Johnson was along the, along with him for some of those. Jaheim Thomas, the linebacker, who looks like he won't be a Buckeye. But Darian Henry, by most accounts, all accounts, every single crystal ball projection, should be committing to the Buckeyes on Saturday. I'm not sure if he's going to be doing that. Is that I don't know if that's taking place in Atlanta at the Rivals Challenge going on right now. I don't know if that lasts all week. Perhaps I should have uh, researched a little bit better on where he will be committing, <laughs> but the date, the date, and the school that he will end up at—that's the most. That's the most important information, and so that could be. And it wouldn't be a huge surprise if somebody commits before then, based on every you know all of the, the buzz and the intel. But we know for certain that Darian Henry is going to commit on Saturday, and we have a pretty good idea that it will be Ohio State and that will give them another guy on the defensive line in this class and more importantly maybe Tom it continues to lock down Ohio.
2: It, yeah, it continues to lock down Ohio and it continues it, it helps you keep Paris Johnson in the class. I mean, I think I think the general trend with Paris Johnson has been for a month or two that things are kind of trending trending back in the right direction for Ohio State. He and Darian Henry are very close. Getting Darian Henry in the class can only help with keeping Paris Johnson in the class. If you know if there's any lingering concern about that, I think that will help with that as well. But you know, you need to keep that defensive line well stocked. And they have brought in, they have kind of loaded up on that defensive line in recent years. And they have a ton of defensive ends that they brought in the last couple of years. They had, and you know, you got Zach Harrison last year. You've got Jack Sawyer next year. So. You know, if they're not loading at defensive end this year, that's that's okay. But you need to keep the middle of that line stocked too. Because that's that is a spot where if you are just a little bit thin, that can just completely submarine your season. And if you want to see an example of that, I think you might be able to see one this fall in Ann Arbor, because there's a whole lot of pieces there, except they're real, real thin at that defensive tackle spot and that is, you know, that's, that's like the, the baseball team that hits and pitches really well, but they play crappy defense, yep. and, you know, th- those hits fall in, and all of a sudden that means your pitchers aren't as good. And if, you, you know, if you've got great corners and you've got great safeties, and that's all great, but the opposing team can run for five yards up the gut every time, like, yep, that's, that's great. You've got a great defense, and you're losing a bunch of football games. So that's a, that's a spot that Ohio State... Has in the past been a little thin. They have. They went through a period when all those Clemson guys were uh, going through. I think like uh, let's see, Dexter Lawrence and who else? Who, all those, all those guys who went to Clemson. Christian who Ohio Wilkins. State was kind of Christian Wilkins. Yeah, who who Ohio State was in on. And they didn't get any of them. That was what 2016, right? 2015, thereabouts, 16. Thereabouts. The yeah. Antoine
1: Jackson went to Auburn.
2: Yeah, went to Auburn. Yep. Yeah they missed out on a whole bunch of guys and it was like, Oh boy, that could be a big problem. And then they have kind of righted the ship and brought in, you know, the Tommy Toki I class and all of those guys. And and it's, it's fine now. And this just kind of keeps, keeps that cupboard well stocked on the, uh, on the inside of that line.
1: Yeah. And as we've seen, they'll just keep bringing in defensive linemen. You know, they'll just keep stocking up on those defensive tackles because they don't want to be thin there ever again. And, and, It will be interesting to watch Michigan, you you know, like Devin Bush wouldn't have looked as good last year if he would have had blockers on him, you know, getting past, getting through the defensive line, not being occupied. And if you don't have those guys up front, those two guys up front, it's going to make the guys behind them look really ordinary. And we've seen some ordinary linebacker play at Ohio State of late. I'm not going to put that on defensive line. We are always going to put that on the coaches, right, Tom? Right on the coaches.
2: But but that's only because it's their fault. That's the only reason,
1: <laughs> and because they don't listen to the show.
2: Yeah, well, except for except for Ryan Day. Well, no, Ryan Day the, for the defense. The
1: coaches, yeah, the coaches that are gone. You know, they've got other podcasts to listen to.
2: Greg Schiano left to spend more time with his family and also to listen to this podcast.
1: Oh, you know what? Now he does have. Although, hey, I'm the one who said he had plenty of time, too much time on his hands in the past. Maybe he should have put some of that time into listening to the show.
2: What What would improve the team the most? More <laughs> insight from us.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not saying it would hurt, but uh, you know, the reason I, I said uh, putting the, the you know the defense around Ohio or, or keeping the Ohio guys at home is because it's looking. Let's talk about the running back situation a little bit. It's looking like they're gonna possibly miss out on the two best running backs in Ohio in a 2020 cycle in Diamante Trianum at Akron Hoban and Michael Drennan here in Columbus at Dublin Kaufman. I should have looked, but
2: um, yes, Dublin Kaufman
1: Trianum is looking like an Arizona state lean because they will, they are letting him, they said, you know, you can play running back and he's an all state linebacker. And if you watch his videos, if you watch his highlights. He looks like a very good running back, but he is also a very, very intriguing defensive prospect and a guy that, when you talk about Ohio State's bullet position, it's like this is the guy that is made for that position. Um, last year, you were talking; we were talking about Maslin's receivers. Trey Anum, you know, played linebacker and played safety in the playoffs against Maslin. They put him at corner against Jaden Ballard, who is a six-three guy. And I believe I believe his name is Trayvon Morgan, who's like a 6'6 guy. And Trayvon is, you know, 5'11", 215, 220-pound, you know, bolder running stride for stride and, and making plays on the ball. But he wants to be a running back. And the, the fact that Ohio State is not telling him, yes, you will definitely be a running back, when they're looking to bring in two running backs – tells me that, one, we know they, they feel things are going very, very well with Bijan Robinson, the five-star guy out of Arizona. But it, it also tells me it's going very well somewhere else because right now Trey isn't even their number two guy. And Michael Drennan, I, I checked with, with some people today, and right now there's, I don't know that there's no communication with Ohio State, but it's they don't know where things stand. They just assume that Ohio State likes several players better. But with Trainham not even being the top two guys, they Ohio State has to time has to feel really, really good about their situation with more than just Robinson. If they are slow not slow playing him, but just not telling him what he wants to hear. They're telling him where they think he will end up, which is I, 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 kudos to Ohio State for not just telling him what he wants to hear and then getting him here and then, you know, moving him over. I know Jim Tressel back in the day had to explain, was it Preston Bur- uh, Prescott Prescott Burgess back in what, the 2002, 2003 class where he wanted to play safety, five-star safety, but he was like 6'2", 230, and he knew he wasn't going to play safety. Ohio State was telling him linebacker. Lloyd Carr was like, yeah, we'll let you play safety. I think by his second day he was at linebacker. So, you know, they're telling Tranum like you know linebacker, linebacker, which means Tom, they we don't know who that second guy is, or there's been so many Since we last talked to you guys, a lot has happened at running back and you know, Kendall Milton has been has been here, Ben been gone. Now he's out of the picture to Georgia perhaps. But it would seem that things are settling in on two guys that they really, really like, really feel comfortable about and like well enough to to let somebody leave the state and not latch on to them right now.
2: This is kind of the inverse of the old uh, don't look at what commits are saying, look at what they're doing. Like, don't pay attention to the social media where they're kind of batting their eyes at six different fan bases look at where they're visiting, look at what they're doing, look at where, you know, where there's communication. This is kind of the the corollary to that, where don't necessarily look at this as two running backs are leaving the state. If Ohio State is really comfortable enough to tell him, look, we don't think you're going to play running back, and not, you know, they are basically willing to write him off as a running back and write him off as a prospect if he's not willing to come play linebacker. That should be a pretty good indication that they truly, in their heart of hearts, believe they have two running backs that they are going to end up with who they are very comfortable with in terms of skill level, who they think are good fits, and that should be pretty comforting to you. I think we could probably make a decent guess as to who those two people are, but you know, if, if, uh, if they are willing to tell him, you know, they're, they're not going to play the game and they're not going to, you know, kind of tell him what he wants to hear. That's, I mean, that's admirable. And I'm sure that there are a lot of, a lot of places, places that don't do that. Um, but that's, you know, that, that may be disappointing to Treantham if that's where he, you know, he wanted to play running back at Ohio State. If that's the case, then I'm sure that's disappointing. That's not where he's ending up. But, you know, if you get a guy on campus, if you do whatever you need to do to get him on campus, and then it, everything changes immediately, a lot of times that can create, you know, bad, bad vibes in that locker room, disappointment in the locker room. You know, if, if you're the second day there, you're feeling like, hey, they lied to me to get me here that does not really set you up for long-term success. So, you know, and if he wants to play running back, Arizona State is that that's a great destination. There is uh you know, there there is a part of me that going back uh you you hear a lot of fun things about going to school at Arizona State. So, like I don't what, think that'd be the worst place to end up. <laughs> such as <laughs> such as uh it's nice all the time and uh I think I get the sense that a lot of people uh, spend a lot of time at the pool and that kind of thing. You know, like I I
1: could, I could relate, relate it. Like um, for those people who have gone to Ohio state, like the first really great day on the oval is probably like that every single day at Arizona state.
2: It's, I think a desirable location. (laughs) uh, As long as the air conditioning is working, I think that's there. There are a lot of things that makes that make that a desirable location. and, you know, I I think that there was a lot of kind of scoffing at the Herm Edwards thing when he when he uh, took that job, and uh, I will raise my hand and admit that I thought, eh, it's going to be kind of a weird fit. And yeah, so far they looked they looked pretty decent last year, and they seem like they're recruiting pretty well. And you know, maybe it it is not a traditional hire, but it you know the Herm Edwards hire seems like it's going a whole lot better than the Lovie Smith hire. So. Yeah that's uh you know that, that is if you are going to uh go out of state i i think arizona state is that's that is a uh perfectly defensible decision to uh make
1: and i i tweeted this out um this week but this is just from following recruiting i'm seeing arizona state more and more in terms of uh, their name just mentioned with recruits that are also looking at ohio state and- there's maybe like, I'm trying to think who, who all have, while we've been following recruiting for all of these years, how often do Arizona state and Ohio state co-mingle in terms of, you know, these are my five schools and you, I I don't maybe Christian Kirk because he was from Arizona. I think maybe that was, I'm just assuming he was involved in Arizona state and that he was also from Arizona <laughs> because that's what my memory does to me. But you, these two schools Don't fly in the same circles. And now you not only do you have um, train. I'm looking at Arizona State and um, Joe Royer, tight end, as is looking there. I believe Mike Drennan has maybe taken a visit there, or has is definitely interested in it. And it's it's been impressive the way they have gone about this. And it's and it's not just Herm Edwards. He's put you know put some interesting staff together, and um, it's. Yeah, like, I, I never had a problem with it, because I, with it with the hire, because I've deleted all of my tweets saying that I did. So, um, <laughs> you know, forks up out there, out west, Tom. It, it
2: does seem like Ohio State is recruiting the West Coast a little oh, harder man. than they have in the past. I mean, we just talked about them recruiting in California a little bit. Washington, they, uh, Arizona. Yeah, Washington, Arizona. The, the uh, quarterback for 2020, Jack Miller, is from Arizona. They had uh, Darvon Hubbard, a running back from Arizona, committed for a while this cycle. So that, that has been a region that, I mean, that is, a, that is a region that is rich with talent and rich with especially with skill position talent. And so that's, you know, if you're, if you're not going into Florida to get those guys, the Southwest and California, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good region to go get those guys. And if you are out there, then you're going to, you're going to bump into guys in Arizona State polos in a lot of those high schools. So I think that, that probably explains some of some of that overlap.
1: The Some of the other running backs, like Zachary Evans, the five-star number one running back in the nation, put Ohio State in his top five a few weeks ago, and that created some buzz because Ohio State people, people were like, you oh, know, what? You know, okay. And then, like, last week it was reported that he was going to be taking a visit to Ohio State. It was first thought to be an official visit. But then it's like, no, it's an unofficial visit. And you're like, whoa, that's that's serious because he's going to pay his own way. But apparently he no-showed. So then it's like, well, maybe that's why he was going to go unofficial because he knew like, you know, if I don't want to go, I'm not going to put too much effort into it. You know, they may still get him on campus for an official, but it's, it's, it's a long shot. And I'm sure they're not, he's not the other running back that they're thinking of. If we're assuming Bijan John Robinson is... One of those guys that they feel really good about, and they do feel really good about it, and things have gotten better and better. And you see pictures of them at the in Atlanta this week at the Rivals Five Star Challenge. And him and Jack Miller are next to each other; they're always together. Uh, there was a picture today of them with five-star defensive lineman Brian Bressy who committed to Clemson. And Jack Miller talked to him a year ago at Friday Night Lights, and he talked about. How the recruiting that he is doing on different guys. His recruitment of, of people has not stopped and it's only picked up. And Robinson is one of his top targets. And it, it appears that things are paying off there. Sam Adams, G Scott's uh, teammate out, out at Washington, four-star running back was in on an official visit as well. Uh, Blake Corum out of Maryland was there a couple weeks ago. He's a four-star guy, probably down the list. Some. Emmett Smith's son, E.J. Smith, put Ohio State in his top five recently. He could be like, he might be like an ideal H-back, like an old-school Urban Meyer H-back a running back and receiver who can do it all. Um, Jalen Knighton, the four-star kid out of Florida, is, like I don't know, like 5'10", 5'11", 180. But he appears to be a guy that a lot of the recruit Knicks are thinking could be that second guy in this class. And it would make some sense that he would be—he's he, similar to Michael Drennan in that he could be considered uh, maybe a slot receiver. He's—he's he's, hes the quote-unquote all-purpose back that they like to throw in there, where he could be a receiver, he could be a running back. But I think there, Ryan Day is looking at these guys as running backs now, and he has—it would appear he has a couple of guys rated ahead of Drennan. Jalen Knight might be that second guy. You know, When you say 5'10", 180 pounds out of Florida, other than thinking of Maurice Wells, you think of everybody <laughs> that you think of what Marie, what we thought Maurice Wells was when, when Bill Connolly signed him, you know, this, this dynamic jitterbug type of guy, speed on speed. And I think Jalen Knight is more in that, in that realm than what we thought we were getting from Maurice Wells. So, if it's B. John Robinson and Jalen Knight, that's not a bad haul. People are gonna wonder though. Robinson is 200, Knight is like 180. Where are the bigger backs? And then, and that's where Tom, you, and I would point to the last class, and also the fact that your quarterback is 230 pounds.
2: Right. You don't have to have a 235 pound running back every year. Like they, they are, they are perfectly capable of. You know, a 200 pound running back can run between the tackles. this is uh, JK Dobbins is not like fullback sized. He is, I think he said he plays around 208 or 210 or something like that. And if you're coming in at 200 pounds, give Coach Mick uh, six months to work with you, and you'll probably be up around 205, 210. That is that is a perfectly fine size to run between the tackles in the Big Ten. Don't do that with Maurice Wells. Don't do don't do that with your 175 pound guy. Those are, those are two different running back roles, and if you have one of each, that's, that's a like you said, that's a pretty good haul. If you have the J.K. Dobbins-type running back and the DeMario McCall-type running back, that those are good complementary pieces that can do a couple different things and threaten defenses in a few different ways, and that, that would be—if if it does end up being Knighton Robinson, I would say that's, that would be a, a pretty big win for the, for the uh, coaching staff this year.
1: Another thing to keep in mind: Ezekiel Elliott was at one point an all-purpose back, listed at like six foot one ninety, and now I believe he's a you know two hundred thirty-pound running back in the NFL, and he was two twenty-five at Ohio State. So if they have the frame, they'll put it on them. And you got Marcus Crowley in this class, along with Steel Chambers. Where these are Marcus Crowley did not, and we talked about this in the past, did not look like the biggest back, but they call him a big back. And I think he's another guy that will. He has the frame to to handle more weight. But so that's that's the running back situation. And it appeared for a while that things were going to be iffy and that they would have to you know fall back on the Ohio kids. And not having to do that seems um, things are going well for the running backs now. It even as well as things are going at running back pales in comparison to the way things are going at wide receiver now when you've got three commitments in Julian Fleming who we haven't yet really talked about but um we've got time we'll eventually get get around to just to, to talking about him 20 or 30 times number one receiver in the class
2: we really talked about him a couple times before that yeah. about hey He's got an announcement right. coming. That's hey, right. it's probably going to be Ohio State. So we've, we've kind of already had this conversation. Yes,
1: we have. Um, and then you've got G. Scott and you've got Jackson Smith and Jigba as the – they're all three top 100 guys. A tremendous class if you just stop right there. Tom, one of the most amazing things, and you mentioned Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams earlier. The fact that we have almost forgotten about Garrett Wilson – in all of this because wow, this class is amazing and there's more to come, which we'll talk about. But I, when you mentioned Garrett Wilson, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like there's still the 2019 kids that we haven't, we've only seen glimpses of. And you know, these 2020 kids have overshadowed Garrett Wilson and Garrett Wilson has overshadowed Jameson Williams. And, when you look at highlights of Jameson Williams, you're like, "How could anybody overshadow Ted Ginn Jr. Jr.?" You know, <laughs> but um, these 2020 kids are already—it's already a stellar class. They could be adding. Um, they're still looking for that true slot guy. Jackson Smith and Jacob could be outside, inside. I think he's. When I first saw his highlights, to me, he was KJ Hill, with some more with with a little bit more speed, so he could go inside, outside. They're still looking for that true slot, Rondale Moore type. And right now they might be zeroing in on Mookie Mookie Cooper, who is a top 100, 100 guy out of St. Louis, would actually be, if he were to commit eventually, would be the number two receiver in OSU's class. Not the number two receiver overall, but the second highest ranked guy. And Tom, I'm thinking if they got those four guys, and I, I'm I'm throwing this on you without any time to prepare, but where would like what other positional classes would this compare to? I I go back to the brew crew of like Michael Brewster, Mike Adams, and JB Schugarts in twenty in 2008. They missed out on uh, a guy from West Virginia that would have made it even better. I go back to um, the linebacker class of '02 with D'Andrea, Bobby Carpenter, A.J. Hawk, Stan White, and Mike Kudla was a linebacker ranked for a while before they rewound history and called him a defensive end. But classes like that were almost legendary in OSU lore, but obviously we still have to get there. But in terms of a wow positional class, they're, and they're on the cusp.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking back to like the first Urban Meyer class where he just pulled like four top one hundred defensive linemen out of thin air yeah. in the last month of the uh the you know, he he took the job in early December and it was just like and uh you know, just pulled pulled the tablecloth and uh and, and then all of a sudden ta-da. Here here's Noah Spence and uh, Adolphus Washington and Tommy Shutt and um Who else? Sav- oh Savon Pittman, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that, that was, that was a pretty good, uh, that was, that was like, uh, college football recruiting the prestige. Ta-da! <laughs> um, yeah, there were, let's see, I guess, I guess a lot of the ones I'm thinking about were guys who committed on the same day and, uh, like Von Bell committed on the same day as someone else, I think. Um, but yeah, there, there were a lot of, there were a lot of kind of like the, the 10 star Saturday kind of things, but yeah i mean in terms of a a just positional unit in one recruiting class that if they get that group of four guys that is like i mean with the depth that they have you you get into the we don't have enough footballs to throw to all these incredibly talented playmakers like that's that's the problem you have and in terms of problems to have as a college football program that is a pretty good problem to have and you know there there's those those guys are if if they are that fast those guys are all special teams assassins for their freshman year and you know you you can squeeze some guys into uh be kick returners and that kind of stuff i mean that's i i think that i might have honestly not mentioned Jamison Williams earlier when we were talking about wide receivers and i mean like you said he is Jamison Williams has been overshadowed by Garrett Wilson who is now being overshadowed by the 2020 wide receivers who you know, if they, can, if they can continue to build the, uh, you know, they get if they add Lorenzo Styles for 2021 and you add him to Jaden Ballard, like all of a sudden the 2021 Marvin start Harris to overshadow the 2020s. Marvis Harrison Jr., he's, he's a, uh, I think, top 50 or top 60 guy in uh, the 2021 class. I mean, they could very easily have like 10 wide receivers on the roster in 2021, all of whom were top 100 overall players in the nation at one position group like that is that is just absurd and that's the kind of stuff that you it makes you wonder how long Brian Hartline is going to be here because Brian Hartline is very obviously a wizard of some sort in terms of uh, recruiting and coaching and development and all that so I that is about the only thing that that is a little bit of uh, a caveat there is how long you know how long will this last if Brian Hartline goes and will they be able to replace him because uh, there is some history in uh, Ohio state football in the relatively recent past of less than stellar wide receiver coaching. So, you, you know, the, the question is always how well will the next guy do, but right now, boy, it could not be going much better at that wide receiver position.
1: No, I, <laughs> to wonder how it could go better is like, you know, just keep your fan fiction to yourself. All right. Just <laughs> stick to reality. You know, when, when people try to like, you know, the what if, if, you know, if they sign all of these top guys and it's like, well, this, this might be one of those one ifs that actually, actually happened. And which takes us to the tight end situation where um, they had, they brought in three official visits this, this weekend. They're obviously zeroed in on Joe Royer is the guy that from Cincinnati elder, who they basically had him and Luke Lachey, Competing for a spot or competing for an offer at camp a few weeks ago, and uh, they extended the offer to Royer. He, interestingly, not too long after that, in 24 7's own rankings, got bumped up to like the number three tight end in, in the nation and the number two player in Ohio. But in the composite, he's a three star guy, six five, two twenty five. But he looks like he will be a Buckeye sooner rather than later, but he's not likely to be the only tight end that they want to bring in, which is why they've brought in quite a few others. But this goes back, Tom, to me where, um, the running back situation, because you have Luke Lachey there in Grandview and, you know, stone's throw from Ohio stadium, a Buckeye legacy. His dad is, um, Jim Lachey. Yeah. (laughs) His first name just escaped me. And, I apologize, but yeah, his dad is Jim Lachey. So it would seem like if you wanted him, you'd simply have to, here's your offer. Um, here's where you can sign, you know, and, and it would be done. But rather than do that, they've, either they're only going to bring in one, which I don't think is the case, or they they feel good about other guys, or Tom, they feel like this is a situation where they can really, really, really slow play a guy because they know how much he would like to be a Buckeye. But that can also tick off not only the player, but the family. And when he does have, like, Luke Lachey's got prominent offers. And right now he's crystal balled 100% to Iowa, which is where every tight end wants to go. I mean, that's, you know, that's T-E-U, but you know he's also got Michigan State, Wisconsin, Cincinnati offers. But I, I, I think if they let him go and he commits, like, I I don't know that he would come crawling back when they come crawling back to him. So it, it feels like this is another situation where they like their options. They not just like them, but they feel really good about their options elsewhere. They certainly
2: like their options better probably i think there it may also be a case where if you offer luke lachey there's probably about a 97% chance that he commits in uh 15 minutes or less that's he he is that, that's not that's not a guarantee and that's not i i have not spoken to luke right. lachey that is not coming from luke lachey but if you uh, live in Grandview, which is literally right across the Olentangy River from Ohio State, if you're not familiar with Columbus, his dad is not only a Ohio State football legend an offensive lineman under Earl Bruce in the early 80s, who uh, went on to play for the Washington Redskins for a number of years, he's also the color guy on the Ohio <laughs> State football radio network. So, like, if you if you were to draw up uh the, basically the family that would most want their kid to play for Ohio State that that might be uh that might be what that family looked like so you know i don't i don't know if uh i don't know if uh he left and went to go to Iowa would Jim Lachey then stop doing the radio cuz he would go be going to Iowa games every Saturday i don't know and and if Luke Lachey came you know had an Ohio State offer and could go play at Ohio State I would have to think that that would be a pretty appealing thing. So they may be just kind of trying to string it out a little bit and see. Cam Large was here last weekend. He's from Massachusetts. I think you know. There's a I think there's a sense that he's has some legitimate interest in Ohio State, and Ohio State has some legitimate interest in him. So maybe maybe it doesn't work out with Lachey, but you know if if you were to draw up the profile of someone that Ohio state thought they might be able to slow play in state, it would probably look a lot like Luke Lachey.
1: Yeah. And I was watching Joe Royer highlights. He's similar to uh, Jeremy Rucker in that he doesn't really play tight end. He plays mostly receiver, which, you know, there's going to be a learning curve there, but, um, you know, somebody going to Iowa where you, You're not, you're not, nobody goes to Iowa expecting to play right away anyway. And it wouldn't be the first Buckeye legacy to go to Iowa. You know, there was James Daniels center, high school, all American center, son of former Buckeye, LaShawn Daniels. Uh, But LaShawn Daniels Jr. went to Iowa running back. He didn't have an Ohio state offer, but there's, there's a history there of Iowa, you know, stealing former Buckeyes kids. I don't, I don't want to say stealing. It's um, it's not proper. Taking them against their will, I think, would be a better way. Uh, but no, so it wouldn't be the first guy to uh, leave that Ohio State legacy for a situation they felt better about. And, you know, if there's no offer, you're not going to walk on. But, yeah, you, you like you said, this is what it would look like if there was a player they thought they could take their time on and come back around to. And, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, and we'll we'll see how that situation turns out. The defensive line we've talked a little bit about, like I said, there's not a lot of defense, not a lot of edge rushers out there. They had three defensive tackles on campus recently. Strong side defensive ends, defensive tackles, four including Darian Henry. But um, we'll see how... There's still a lot of time, but these official visits move everything up so quickly because Ohio state, they'll let you do the spring official visits. If they think you're going to make like a summer decision or a decision before your school year. I know. Do you know, is Dabo still staunchly against spring visits, official visits and and doesn't do them?
2: I don't know. Honestly, Uh, Dabo Dabo has not been talking about a whole bunch of stuff recently, so I'm not sure what he, where he stands on that or any of uh, several other uh, topics of possible yeah,
1: interest. It's best for him to just stay quiet right now and re- refer any questions to uh, the SIDs or the attorneys. The linebackers, I think, is more interesting than the defensive line right now because there's going to be, be some movement. They had Court Williams, a four-star linebacker out of California on campus, and Cody Simon, four star linebacker out of New Jersey. Yes. Yeah. And they're they're almost the same guy. Like if you look at them listed, like one's like six one, two sixteen, the other's 218. One runs a four six oh, the other runs a four six two. So they're these fast linebackers that is popular in football right now. And like I said, Court Williams has has said, you know, he likes the idea of playing the bullet position and that's that's fine if if that's what you want to come to Ohio State to play you have to be able to play safety when you do that and Ohio State doesn't go out and get linebackers to play safety you know when when i you know before we saw this spring football with Ohio State i would think yeah okay you could put a linebacker there but when you saw everything that brendan white had to do in practice and you saw him if you watched the spring game the two bullets were Brendan White and Jocelyn Witt, and they never played linebacker. They were always at safety. So you go ahead and, not you, Tom, but re, the listeners can out, there, out there can go ahead and research the last high school linebacker to you know, that was listed as a linebacker to then become a safety at Ohio State. And it's not, not going to be a very long list. It's not going to be a very recent list. It, it doesn't happen. And, yes, this is a hybrid position. But the fact that it requires some safety play means that you better have somebody who can play safety there, and I. You don't need as many linebackers anymore because of that bullet. You don't need to recruit as many per se, but I I see Williams as as a linebacker. Cody Cody Simon, um uh, has, he'll start out. I think he said that he wants to. They're telling him middle linebacker. Or there's been some mention of that. He being as small as he is. He'll, he could start out at will and maybe grow into a middle linebacker. Those two positions are, positions are interchangeable. Uh, but, Tom, for me, I, I really, if you've watched any of these these guys' highlights, they're, they are they are modern-day linebackers. They're like what you see in the NFL draft where I, I think a lot of the guys getting drafted came into college at 6'1", 215, 218 pounds, and they grow into fast 240-pounders.
2: Right, you you the general trend in football in a lot of positions is basically take a guy who's fast and then you can make him add some good weight and keep if you can keep that speed then you're really dangerous. I mean that's you you talked about linebackers not moving to safety. There was not that long ago Ohio State recruited a safety and turned him into a pretty fast defensive end uh, yeah. named Sam Hubbard. So. That that is generally the direction it goes. I mean, they just did that last year with Javante Jean Baptiste, who was who came in as a two hundred and ten pound outside linebacker, and then they just fed him food for a year, and now he's a two hundred and forty pound uh, defensive end. That that is the generally generally the direction that goes. So, if you're if you're looking for a hybrid safety linebacker. It's more likely to come from the safeties than it is the linebackers. That's just that's just kind of the, the direction that 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 generally goes. You you bulk up your it's is easier to add five to ten pounds of muscle to a safety and and bulk them up a little more uh, than it is to take a, a linebacker and keep him just as strong and also make him faster. Like that that is a that's a tough spot to be in. And that's you know that the, there were a lot of times last year that Ohio State had linebackers. Covering people in space, which is something you're going to have to do in that bullet position, and it was like, eh, it's not great. That's not really what they want to do with air. So, yeah, I, I I think that that's you're right. It, the Jocson Went Brendan White type player is more likely to end up at that bullet position than than one of those linebackers.
1: Yeah, and and, and Went is a guy who played some linebacker at uh, Erasmus Hall, but he was also one ninety You know, he he's a safety playing linebacker in that kind of defense and also played some safety. But if court Williams can do that, then man, you've got yourself a prospect. If he's a linebacker that covers like a safety, that's great. I think that's a little bit too much to ask. And unless, you know, maybe they wouldn't ask every bullet to do what they ask Brendan white. And that would make sense. You know, you're only going to ask them to do what, what they can do. You're not going to, you know, require, Hey, if, if you're in the bullet, then you have to do this. And, and we know you can't, but we're still going to ask you to do that. That's pretty stupid. And as, as, as we know from Greg Madison, he prefers not doing that. And has mentioned that coaches who do do that, that's poor coaching. I don't know specifically like who he's talking about, you know, um, Tom, do you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Whoever it is would benefit from listening to the podcast. I think we can say that for sure.
1: I th- I think I think we could. Uh, Mitchell Melton is another guy who had an official visit, three-star linebacker out of Maryland a couple weeks ago. It's looking like he's headed to Michigan, so we'll, we'll see if um, you know, do they bring in anybody else. You know, because if if they wanted to train him and it looks like they're going to miss out on him, is you know is Simon replacing him? Is Court Williams replacing him, or will they go out? And find a guy because, like I said, I, to me he was a bullet. And they're they're looking at a number of safeties, which you know we can transition to that right now with uh, Lathan Ransom, who is the teammate of Bijan Robinson, I believe, South Point Catholic in Tucson, who's you know top five safety, top one hundred player, been to Ohio State before, uh, visit took an official visit. Some crystal balls coming in, some rivals predictions coming in his way to Ohio State. So things are looking good there for them. Obviously, that's not going to be the only safety they bring in. They also, or or they they would sign if he signs with Ohio State. Uh, Makari Page, four-star safety out of Michigan, has been on campus. I, it seems to me like some, some say it's Ohio State, Michigan. Others are saying like he's not a take for either of them right now. So we'll see. Uh, maybe the first program to blink. And I don't know. I haven't talked to the kid. I don't know who's going to, who 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 is, uh, w- would take him right now or who would. But he's visited those schools and, you know, the offer is there and they need bodies and they need talented safeties and, and he's one of them. And it gets back to like, well, if they're not going to take him, they must feel good about some other guys. Another Michigan guy, Cameron Martinez. I think he's a three-star athlete. I believe he plays Quarterback, but he's 5'11, like 190. So he's either slot receiver or a defensive back, they don't really know yet. They just know they like him. So really that's there's other safeties involved. They had a like a surprise visit a couple of weeks ago from one of the top safeties in the nation. But it seems like it's gonna be maybe a little bit longer before that stuff starts shaking out. Although with with ransom Tom, you know, taking those official visits. You kind of expect a decision sooner rather than later, and that would be a that would be a good start to their safety haul.
2: Well, he's the top-rated uncommitted safety right yeah. now in the nation. He's number four in the nation, and number th- the top three guys are all committed. So, a- as far as uh, landing a commitment goes, that is literally the best they could <laughs> do right now in terms of the rankings. So, and and that's that's another spot where they need to make sure they have they bring in a couple good players back there. And if Ransom is one of them, that that starts you out pretty darn well. Because you've got, you've got Legend Cavazos, we talked about, as a corner who theoretically could play safety. He's listed as a safety on the recruiting databases, but he's going to start at corner, uh, start his career at corner. You got Clark Phillips, who's going to be a corner, true corner. If you can add Ransom to that, that's three-quarters of a very, very, very good defensive backfield already. So, and, and corner and safety are another spot. They're like defensive tackle where you want to make sure that cupboard is very well-stocked. Because there are going to be guys who don't don't fit, don't, don't fit schematically, don't develop the way you want to, and... You have seen what a year of sh- shaky safety play can look like at Ohio State, and it's not great. So if they can make sure, I mean, they have they have plenty of talent on the roster right now. I mean, Josh Proctor basically hasn't played, and they absolutely seem to love him by all, by all accounts. And there's plenty of other talented safeties on the roster. But you lose Jordan Fuller after next year. You could lose Sean Wade after next year. You, I think Brendan White could theoretically turn pro after next year. So you want to make sure you've kind of got that next, that next group of safeties, that next group of corners in place, for, because yeah, you, know, th- you know I think the the overall idea is generally you just assume a lot of these guys are going to turn pro at their earliest uh, convenience, at the earliest availability. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the earliest convenience. So you gotta you gotta make sure you have that next. That next group of, uh, you know, when they say next man up, there has to be someone when they turn and say next man up, there has to be someone, someone standing there who's ready to do it. So that's that is what this next group is.
1: Yeah. The other safety they had on campus that I mentioned a couple weeks ago is Chris Thompson out of Texas. The number safe number seven safety in a nation right now is crystal ball is 100 percent to Texas. Uh, another guy they were looking at Jordan Morant out of Bergen Catholic committed to Michigan, which is not a surprise uh, considering the pipeline there. And the history between those two schools. But Morant was a guy who had had Ohio State in his top five and obviously sided with Michigan. And so when you look down the list of the safeties, it really it's it's Macari Page is the next guy out of West Bloomfield, Michigan, that we talked about. He's a guy six three, hundred and eighty, hundred and ninety pounds, that maybe he grows into that bullet. Because you don't you don't see a lot of six three Safeties. And when we say 6'3 high school, that's 6'2 in college. And then maybe 6'1 and a half at the combine. But still, you, you, maybe you could project him out as that that uh that bullet, and then you look at your corners to grow one into a safety, and, and now you you just kind of filter down it's trickle down secondary uh economics right there for you. The Anything else for the secondary time that, that you wanted to touch on? Are we good?
2: Well, I get. I guess you, you kind of talked about this a little bit, but in terms of the direction of movement of players, we talked earlier about, you know, safeties turn into linebackers, linebackers turn into defensive ends just in terms of the speed. In general, if you if you have corners who don't work as corners, it's much easier to turn a corner into a safety than the other way around. Turning a safety into a corner is generally an indication that you have a major roster issue a corner into a safety is not, you know, that can just mean, yeah, this guy didn't really work yeah. their, you know, ball skills or whatever. You can, you can turn a corner into a very, very good safety. If you're turning a safety into a corner, that's generally a look at the depth chart and go, Oh, something, you know, there's a problem here. So just, just something else to think about in terms of, of uh, where, where some of these guys could fit down the line.
1: Yeah. That's what other schools do. You know, that, that's you, Ohio state doesn't do that because they don't usually have to. That's, that's where other schools where resources aren't limited, uh, talent does not always pan out. One you're, year, you're, you don't get to shop at the same stores as Ohio State, and so yeah, had to move from safety down to corner. You know, we saw the greatest example of that would be from Ohio State, where you had C Grant as a starting linebacker, had to play corner because you had all kinds of injuries and cornerbacks not panning out for that 2001 team, and played corner about as well as you could ever hope a linebacker to play it. But turning to a linebacker to play corner is something that (laughs) you'll, you'll, you never want to see again at Ohio state. And, uh, Tom, I'm just going to go out on a limb. You won't ever see it again.
2: If they keep recruiting the way they're recruiting, I think there's a pretty good chance you will not ever see that again. But, uh, that was the end of the Cooper era recruiting. And, uh, that first year of Trestle, uh, that recruiting was not necessarily there in all of the spots like it is right now.
1: You mentioned recruiting going on the 2021 rivals unveiled their top 100 for 2021. Number three was Jack Sawyer, Ohio state defensive end commit number nine, Kyle McCord, Ohio state quarterback commit two spots below him. Tom JJ McCarthy, Michigan quarterback commit and I think the 24-7 composite before this you had McCarthy as a five star guy ranked well ahead of McCord after camps I guess rivals liked McCord better Tom did you see the picture of them together McCarthy and McCord on Twitter today
2: I I did it was uh it, it was a little jarring. It's one of those pictures like when you see uh, a guy who ends up at Michigan who made a recruiting visit to Ohio State or vice versa, and you see the picture of them wearing the other team's uniforms, yeah. and it's like, oh, that just that looks weird and unnatural. It, it was kind of the same thing. Like, no, 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 you two should be enemies in the wild. Why are you, why are you being friendly?
1: <laughs> so Kyle McCord is listed at 6'3". J.J. McCarthy is listed at 6'2". Tom, did it look like a one-inch difference in height between those two?
2: Uh, I mean, I didn't have a ruler out, but I would guess that is probably not exactly an inch. Maybe, maybe one of them was wearing cleats. It's hard to say. Who's Who's to know? sure yeah,
1: Who? Yes. Who is to know? Uh, so I I thought that was interesting. Where um, where those two quarterbacks are lined up, and I don't even know if if we ever got into yeah, we did about Ohio State lying to JJ McCarthy, and I always enjoy following the Ohio State and the Michigan commits who are. Tied closely together um, like this, and seeing how you know, how things turn out for the, the two schools and the bragging rights and all of that, um, there were I believe four Ohioans in this top one hundred, where you had um, Jack Sawyer at number three, Lorenzo Styles Jr. at number twenty five overall, um, Najee Story the Defensive end from Solon, number 67. And then Ben Chrisman at number 91 offensive lineman out of Richfield, Ohio, who I believe like in in the 24-7 was maybe like the number 25 player. So he'll take a little bit of a a hit in the composite with this one because he was a borderline five-star guy. Um, I guess he needs to get to camps and start to impress the people and get those stars because, Tom, that's what it's all about. But in terms of like uh, five star guys, I think it, they'll they'll fluctuate between like twenty eight and thirty four. Uh, the top twenty eight or thirty four guys, twenty five to thirty two guys, are, are end up being five stars and rivals if you care about that sort of thing. So right now, Lorenzo Styles on the cusp, just needs to. or He's right there. He just needs to continue um, telling rivals what they want to hear and going to their camps and. That sort of thing, because you kind of have to do that as well.
2: You do have to play the game a little bit if if you're uh, if you're worried about that. I would say that uh, at number ninety one overall, Ben Christman is probably safely within the take range for Ohio State at <laughs> yes. this point. If they're if they're if they're making the decision based on that top one hundred, like yeah, that's fine. You got
1: lucky, Christman.
2: <laughs> I, I suppose we will allow it. I suppose. <laughs> Uh, that's the official position of Ohio State University there. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he'll, uh, he, he's someone who, I I always feel like offensive linemen, the rank, the rankings that change a good bit one way or the other, there's a lot of fluctuation there once you do see them in camps, because a lot of times you're, you know, he's playing, Ben Christman is playing in a smaller conference not I mean he's not like a tiny school conference but he's playing in a smaller conference so you don't really necessarily see him going against top top level competition in games so those camps you know see how he pass protects against a kind of top level defensive end that kind of stuff so those those rankings can bounce around a little bit but yeah I mean just he he is uh based on based on where the consensus is right now I think he's I think he is uh, going to end up going to college and having his uh, tuition paid for, so he'll, he'll he'll be just fine.
1: Although, did you see the picture of Jack Sawyer and, and Ben Christman at Ohio State this past weekend? Mm, no? I don't think okay, I saw that one. Christman is listed at six six. Jack Sawyer is listed at six five. And if Jack Sawyer is six five, then based on the way this picture was, Christman is probably like six two and a half. Um, so maybe <laughs> it's just they were standing, and maybe the the way they were standing made it look a little off, but maybe like rivals saw that picture and like, Whoa, you know, six, two tackle. (laughs) We better take them down to like 91 because you know, that's where, that's where you'll find the six, two tackles still in the top 100.
2: Maybe the floor is slanted. You don't know.
1: That's right. You don't know. Uh, and in which case you might want to get that floor fixed because there's like, it's a new staging area area for photos with like, work construction equipment and sledgehammers and stuff. So uh, OSHA might want to check that out. I'm just saying <laughs> time. Anything else before we answer uh, just a couple of listener questions and we will, we'll push, push a bunch to next week's show. And we still have a whole bunch of offensive stuff to talk about. Offensive, not offensive offensive stuff to talk about next week. Uh, but do you have anything else before we get to the, the questions?
2: Let's get right to those questions. I think we've, we've we've kept them waiting long enough. And just to give people an indication how long we have kept them waiting, <laughs> like here's the song. first question from at Zediah. How important is it for OSU to get a defensive recruit before the beginning of the fall? All the current recruits, save Cavazos, are on offense, which makes sense because of last year. But can OSU afford to wait until October before getting any great defensive recruits? I'm going to jump in and say it is extremely important, based on when you asked this question, for Ohio State to land. Three ish big defensive recruits before, say, June 25th. What do you think, Gerd?
1: Yeah, I I definitely think it's important. And and not just for school and for the team, but for all of mankind. If they don't land recruits, uh, I think like the Mayan apocalypse will happen. So, yes, they definitely need not just for the Buckeyes, but to save all of mankind. They need somebody to commit. And as long as somebody commits, we'll keep trucking, you know, mankind will keep right on going, but if it doesn't happen, I probably, this is the last podcast you'll ever, you'll ever get to listen to. So in which case you're welcome. And it's a great way to go out. But, uh, on the downside, if they get a if, if, if they get uh, a commit, we'll keep on going on and this will just have to be like a very good podcast moment in your life
2: (laughs) the only kind of moment that this podcast brings into your lives Yeah, very very good ones pretty much uh it it is kind of important to to bring in a couple more defensive players like you don't you didn't want that hanging out there that long um because there is a lot of recruiting that is momentum and is storylines and you know right now the story around Penn State is, hey, there's a whole bunch of guys decommitting. That's, that's kind of weird. That's, that's not great. And that's something that can kind of snowball and become its own story. Had Ohio State gone into the fall with one defensive player committed, that is kind of the same like, hey, that's weird. What's going on there? And people start looking for reasons that there's an issue. And even if there's not an issue, then... It can become an issue just in and of itself. So, yeah. adding in adding in a Clark Phillips, adding in a Ty Hamilton, like yeah, that 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 starts solving that problem right there, and then it it stops being something that you know it it stops being a story because now it's not a story anymore. Yeah,
1: it almost becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Then you have defensive recruits like why why aren't others people going in there? Well, I'm not going to go there if nobody else is going. Uh, but you also we we talked to the coaches a couple weeks ago and really Halfley and and Madison are both like, you know, well, we've got visits coming. So things are fine. Ryan day essentially said, talk to me in July. You know, we'll we'll see how things are in July. We've got plenty of visits coming. If, if they're, if they're not here, uh, basically they'll, they'll be here. And uh, just, you'll see by, by July that there will be commits and and all will be well. And so far he's Right.
2: Uh, next question from at Stewart underscore E four U S vet. Why are Penn state fans so salty when it comes to OSU and the commitment of Julian Fleming? What do you consider the biggest rivalry? This is, I'm not sure how this is a question. What do you consider the biggest rivalry? OSU versus Michigan, Mm -hmm. Michigan versus Michigan state or OSU versus Penn state. This could be a current events question.
1: Gosh, Tom, uh, we could spend an entire show talking about what is the biggest rivalry between Michigan and Ohio state. Michigan and Michigan state and Ohio state and Penn state, because there's, there's a lot of great arguments to be made for any one of those. The, the best arguments Tom are obviously, you know what? I can't even, I can't continue. The, the, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. No, it's Ohio state, Michigan. And one of my favorite rivalries is definitely Michigan, Michigan state. And one of my other favorite rivalries is Michigan, Notre Dame, but Michigan, Michigan state, is great. I love it. They hate each other. They, they like Ohio state, Michigan hate each other, but there's respect there. Like there's no respect between Michigan and Michigan state. They hate each other. uh, And at at any moment, that game can become a bar fight and that's fun. And that's great. Uh, But yeah, when was the last time Ohio, Ohio state or Michigan, Michigan state was, big on a national scale yes is like the the muffed punt has affected things before and but not of their own doing i've already talked too much about this tom would you care to weigh in
2: (laughs) um yes i i think that there is a certain beauty to those in-state rivalries especially those in-state conference rivalries like iowa iowa state is great like it that is its own just absolute hilarious dumpster fire of a game every year but there's not like a conference thing on the line there it's it's just they play in week two and by week seven everyone forgets who actually won the game (laughs) and just remember that it was a terrible game michigan michigan state is like like the oklahoma oklahoma state or uh kansas kansas state or any of those like in-state rivalries where it's also a division you know also a, a conference thing And there's just a lot on the line, and you know that it's just fan bases who just live with each other all the time and just absolutely hate living around people who, if your team has lost, you have to live with it and see it right in your face for the next 365 days. Unless you're in Toledo, that's not really a thing with Ohio State and Michigan. Like, if you're in Michigan, you're not seeing that many Ohio State fans all the time. So... There is there is a certain beauty to that, but yes, in terms of in terms of rivalries like Michigan, Michigan State, yes, that is a good spiteful in-state rivalry. Ohio State, Michigan is the number one rivalry in all of sports, not really even a question. And then Ohio State, Penn State is just two teams that are in the same division that are in bordering states. Like I just I don't that that people keep trying to make that a rivalry, and it's like if Michigan if Ohio State Penn State's a rivalry then Ohio State Michigan State's a rivalry right. and Ohio State uh, like all the all the things that make Ohio State Penn State a rivalry make five other games a rivalry on their schedule every year and at that point if everything's a rivalry nothing's a rivalry so uh and as far as why Penn State fans are so salty when it comes to Ohio State the commitment of Julian Fleming he was i mean he is a super, super stud wide receiver prospect, top 10 overall player in the country. I think he's fifth or sixth, like in any player, regardless of position. He's from relatively close to Penn State. He is or was dating someone who was on the Penn State track team. Everyone just assumed he was going to Penn State and this was going to be this big crown jewel for them. And then he not only doesn't go to Penn State, but he goes to Ohio State, which is a team that has basically dragged Penn State through the mud basically this entire century. I mean, it's everyone knows the Ohio State sixteen and two versus Michigan thing, but Ohio State and against Penn State is like thirteen and five, something like that, twelve and six in the last eighteen years. Like Penn, Ohio State has dominated Penn State almost as much as they've dominated Michigan, and that's that's irritating to Penn State fans. And this is just this is another L that they have to they have to hold. And so, yeah, that's, and you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to get the denizens of uh BWI too salty. So uh, that's uh th- that's really not that much of a surprise.
1: No, but Ohio state fans were salty when Jackson Carmen left for Clemson. So I think anytime a fan base loses an in-state kid, it doesn't help when that guy is going to Ohio state and who, you know, who has pounded you. I'm trying to, equate it with where somebody could like uh, somebody choosing Iowa or Purdue over Ohio state. Yeah. You're going to be salty. Like if Paris Johnson commits to Purdue, Buckeye fans aren't going to be happy, but that's, that's the nature. That's, that's every, every five-star recruit that leaves the state, every high four-star guy that leaves the state, he's turned his back on his people. He has dishonored his family. He has insulted my family. He has made me look bad in front of my coworkers. And basically, uh, now I'm going to have to spend time on social media, tearing him down. And I might even Tom, if I'm feeling up for it, I might at him. I might at his mom, his dad, and anybody else who's listening. And I may even, um, threaten his pets. You know, just just depends on how I'm feeling that day. Basically, that's 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 the the mindset when somebody does this to you, not to me, to just random people. <laughs> I wouldn't do this.
2: Brief note: the official editorial position of the Buckeye Weekly Podcast and the Ozone dot net and Ozone Communications LLC. Please don't at the Crutes. Thank you, <laughs> or or their or their parents or their pets. Tom, Thank let, you.
1: You know, I I was talking to you before the show about. Randy Wade, Sean Wade's dad, um, has a podcast called, and I and I recommend it called Daddy's Ball, uh, the Daddy's Ball podcast. It's it's him and it's the uh, along with the father of a, an Alabama commit, and they basically talk about the recruiting process, and a, a, as a means of trying to be a, a resource or a service to parents out there who are going through the same thing. But it's also interesting listening. an an interesting listen for fans, uh, just sports fans, college football fans to hear about the process. But on this past week's show, they had Mark Pantone, who is the recruiting director uh, at Ohio state. And they asked him about fans getting involved on social media. And, you know, has it, is it, is there a positive effect to it? And Pantone was basically like, you know, it's, it does not help. And every, they, they would prefer that it didn't happen because more harm than good comes from it. And I think maybe some that may have been seen with the with the Kendall Milton recruitment where you know, he comes out of the Georgia visit and, and things look good for the Bulldogs there and Ohio State fans kind of go after him a little bit. And Kendall Milton's dad, Chris Milton, is is very active on Twitter and will defend his son and so now you've got this back and forth with Buckeye fans, and you've got Ohio State actively recruiting Kendall Milton, and now their university is being put in a terrible light because of social media. So I I don't know that a recruit has ever committed to a school based on tweets saying, "Hey, commit to this school." We know for a fact. Time you go back to like uh, the 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 B Dubs trivia guru and Alex Anzalone. where fans can have a very negative impact. And you say, you know, don't tweet at recruits. And I know everybody says that a lot of people still do it. It, 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 From from the horse's mouth, Mark Pantone, it does not help and it only hurts. It's probably a
2: small version of the much bigger uh, life advice that I can give you, which is not just don't tweet at recruits, don't tweet just what if you twitter colon what if we didn't just think, think about that's it. for everybody that's just, for all of us think about it that is just that is just that is the best life advice i can give you if you want to live your best life it does not involve twitter
1: you know you think about it tom if, if everybody if you live long enough eventually you will be fired for something you tweet all of us
2: <laughs> oh but but what if i got hired for something i tweeted How how great would that be Um, last question from smart water. A lot of new coaches. Which one is your favorite interview? Jeff Halfley. Yeah. Uh, which will have the biggest impact on 2019 performance slash improvement? Jeff Halfley. 2019, 20 recruiting. Heartline doesn't count, of course. Okay. Jeff Halfley. And which one, which one do you guys suspect might not fit or stick? Not leaving for an amazing job, but going the Withers route. Everett Withers, the uh, former defensive coordinator in 2013. Who left for the James
1: Madison job? Is that right?
2: Yeah, an FCS job, yep. right? Yeah, yep. it was James Madison
1: voluntarily. Uh, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, I I don't like I don't like answering this question because I don't don't really have a feel for who's going to struggle or anything like that. I, I think you you point at Matt Barnes because assistant secondary coach. You know what exactly does that mean? But this is also a guy who was thrust into a position at Maryland as with everything going on terribly there, and you know he was calling plays there, so he he's an up and comer where um, Ryan Day seems to know what he's doing on, on on these coaches, and we don't you know it's still early, obviously we haven't seen anybody perform yet. I don't really have a negative feeling towards any of these guys like when when Tim Beck was hired. Like, I think I've probably mentioned this before. Where I did, like, um, you know, top 20, 20 guys, 20 names to watch to replace Tom Herman. And, you know, like Lincoln Riley is there and all of these other names. A name I did not put on there, even though I had heard it, was Tim Beck because there's no way that Urban Meyer is going to hire Tim Beck based on the fact that Taylor Martinez never got better at Nebraska. And quarterbacks didn't really ever get better under Tim Beck. And so then, you know, Tim Beck gets hired and you're like, well, that doesn't seem like it's going to work. And Bill Davis, you know, hindsight is 2020, but foresight wasn't too bad either. You look at his Wikipedia page and every two years he's somewhere else. And it's not because he's moving up. It's because he's, you know, now he's, now he's the defensive coordinator here. Now he's a linebackers coach here because the defensive coordinator job, he didn't do very well. Now he's now he did pretty good at linebacker. So now he's a defensive coordinator again. But now he's two years later. Now for six straight years he's a linebackers coach at three other places, and obviously you, the whole best man thing. And you're like, well, yeah. Plus he was a QC guy before that, and then those are hires where you're like, yeah, um, maybe maybe that would have been Brian Hartline, you know, Tom, where it's like, uh, yeah, well he he didn't really like. And Columbus radio hosts, if you get, if you produce for a while, you'll eventually get a show. You just, you, you move up. Um, and this is like where guys are just moving up organically or through lack of wanting to go get somebody else. Obviously Brian Hartline is proving that one wrong, but those are two guys in the past where you're like, yeah, that doesn't look great right now. I don't, I don't have any of those feelings.
2: It's. I mean, the the moving up thing is interesting because you can sometimes you get a Brian Hartline and sometimes you get a Nick Siciliano, right. And those are those are different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> it, it's it's way too early to judge any of the new coaches with any kind of a finality because let's we'll have a little confessional moment. Pull 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 up a chair. This time last year, I would have told you that I was pretty confident that Alex Grinch was headed for big things at Ohio State. So, and I think there's reason to think that not everything that happened last year was Alex Grinch's fault, but Alex Grinch was in charge of the safeties. Alex Grinch was listed as a co-defensive coordinator, and, you know, he wasn't King Midas last year. There, There was nothing that he touched that turned to gold, so you know, it may not have all been him, but it didn't go great. And so it's, it's worth just kind of giving it, giving it a year. And you really probably need to give it two years with these guys because there's a little bit of, you know, there's, there's probably a little bit of a lag in terms of getting stuff implemented and, uh, you know, defensive coordinators getting a new system in place and all that kind of stuff. Don't, judge them based on what things look like in week three this year and unless things are trending terribly you might not even want to judge them completely at the end of the first year you you kind of need to give guys a couple years to really see if if things are really working or really not so yeah I would I would say wait way too soon to answer that last one right now but you know ask ask again later maybe end of the year and I'll make Gert answer it
1: yeah well you mentioned Grinch and I'm Pretty sure before the whole Zach Smith thing uh, happened and Ryan Day was thrust into it, we may have talked about like who is more likely to be the next head coach at Ohio State, Alex Grinch or Ryan Day, because that's how highly Grinch was thought of. And um, when you look at you know who who when you're trying to project, you're not going to project Graciano to Ohio State head coach. You're going to look at somebody who is on a similar level but younger and and. As a the the trage- trajectory is pointing that way, I would go back and, and maybe try to find that show, but it's probably you know some of those early shows, Tom. Even the, they're not once you started coming on, they're, they're probably not the greatest shows like these are now. Uh, so I I don't always like to go back into the archives, but um, I I will if it if I could find a clip saying. Yeah, Day is never going to be a head coach, and I guarantee it's going to be Alex Grinch. If I could find you saying that, <laughs> I will pour through <laughs> hours upon hours uh, of tape, actual actual physical tape, and not just recorded digital audio stuff, like actual tape. Real to real. If I do that sound I was out there, Tom, I'd go look for it. Just
2: start checking all the scotch tape in your house first, and, <laughs> and duct tape, and see see if you find it on there. Maybe. It, it's worth it's worth spending some time looking for it this this week, for sure.
1: All right, I'll do that. All right, I think that that covers it. Um, we thank you all for your patience. Uh, I hope this show is worth the uh, like the three weeks, two weeks since, not three weeks I guess since our last show. Um, I do have uh, some stuff to send out, so I thank you for uh, the, the ratings and reviews. We always appreciate that. Um, continue to do that; it helps us be seen. We thank you, uh, those of you who have. Uh, Tom, we are like four weeks out from big 10 media days fall camp i believe starts on august 2nd this year so um, last year was like late july this year it's going to be early august and we're we're not too far away
2: and this year we might even get to cover some of that fall camp which would be really exciting
1: oh man i yeah huh well let's knock out some wood tom <laughs> all right let's call it a night let's call it a day Thank you all for listening. Uh, We will talk to you next week.